Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful in oil country and around the world. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I'm here today with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing today? Ah, well, it's kind of a crappy way to spend a beautiful afternoon is watching a crappy hockey game. But they have to play all the games, and, and uh, you know, I'm just... I'm thankful of one thing, Bruce, that we're not in the position of Canucks fans right now, you know, trying looking for a moral victory out of the last game of the year, um, mm-hmm. you know, looking for anything good to hang on to in just a terrible season. Uh, the Oilers lost 4-1 to the Canucks, but they outchanced them in terms of grade-A chances. I think it was 16-6 to by our count. It, it, the, mm-hmm. the difference was goaltending. I mean, Thatcher Demko just put on a spectacular goaltending performance, and uh, Miko Koskinen crap the bed so uh we'll do our good things bad things and numbers podcast two of each we're not going to dwell on the loss because it's a rather insignificant game bruce what's your what's your good thing well dave Tippett called it a win because nobody got hurt he said that was their main objective was to get through it without anybody getting hurt so amen apparently amen. that happened apparently that happened i'm going to single out uh, josh archibald for having what i saw as a very strong game. He was he was really skating well, and and uh, I thought he stood out among the Oilers, especially for his effort level. Uh, twice he won races to icings, uh, to negate icings. The second time in which he was able to recover the puck and make a pass for a dangerous shot on net by Jujar Kara. He had a couple of uh, what would you call them partial breakaways of his own. Well, yeah. basically he was in alone on Thatcher Demko. Uh, not the only Oiler that couldn't solve Thatcher Demko one-on-one today. The Oilers had a few breakaways and couldn't put any of them home. And uh, Archibald had, had a couple of decent attempts there, uh, including one uh, interesting play late in the second period where, where uh, Joachim Niegaard got tripped to the ice and managed to draw, both draw a penalty and somehow shovel the puck ahead to Archibald, who steamed in on goal but couldn't finish the job. He also had six hits, and uh, like I say, I just thought he stood out for his uh, honest uh, two-way effort in this game. I want to uh, welcome the people who are joining us live. We are live right now. We're still Excellent. a little, we're still a little bit uh, discombobulated by this whole live thing and whether we're live or not. But it looks like it's working now, Bruce. So I, I, it's a, it's a okay. great thing. So if anyone, if you have at the end of this podcast, uh, we'll, we'll, if you have some questions, we'll try to answer some of them. Um, you can go to the Edmonton Journal page now, Bruce, yourself, and you'll see the okay. the, uh, the live uh, podcast, which I'm just doing right now myself. So we can, okay. I think you can probably follow the, the comments there yourself, if I'm not mistaken. All righty, Bruce, my good thing, um, I, I really thought, the although the Oilers lost this game, their passing was really sharp. And I just, I was just trying to think back to years past watching the Oilers team and just them, how, especially on the breakout, how they would just fumble passes around and be stuck in their, even against weak teams, they'd be stuck in their end forever because they were constantly fumbling passes, just couldn't get it together in terms of a breakout. It was just ongoing and horrendous. And it's been getting better and better and better. When Tippett first arrived, for instance, we first saw this dramatic new thing on the Edmonton Oilers where they would, on their breakout play, they would actually pass it up the middle of the ice, you know, to the center who was wide open half the time. Under McClellan, they had never done that play. And it was extremely 
frustrating to me that that uh, that, that was the case. Um, but now they they're they're doing that pass. They're D to D all over the place. They're slinging the puck around, and it has to do with a, a vast improvement in personnel um, throughout the team, but also a change in tactics. We saw, you know, the best the best evidence, of course, was the the power of play. But it's kind of uh, you know where they they had like the most dramatic, outstanding scoring chances. But it's kind of cheap to go on the power play because you have the man advantage there. So I'll I'll go with just the the Bruce the example of. Um, Adam Larson's goal. I mean, um, just the passing on that play. Um, Drysaddle holding the puck, back to McDavid. Beautiful pass over to Larson. Boom in the net with the JP screen. There was a just before that. There was a a great chance where uh, Chase on wins the puck, passes it to Kuhn to Nugent Hopkins to Bouchard at the at the point. Another great shot. So. The game was just replete with great Oilers passes leading to partial breakaways and uh, five alarm chances, five bells chances for the Oilers. And and uh, by all rights, the Oilers would have won this game, but goaltending is part of the equation of every game, and Demko came up big. Did he ever? There was another great passing play early in the third. Ended with R&H firing a shot from point-blank range right inside the post, and somehow uh, Demko got his glove on it, and he was just seemingly stopping everything in this game. And it was, you know, some nice setup plays by the Oilers, and uh, they just could not solve Thatcher Demko between the pipes for uh, for Vancouver. They could not. He was he was unreal. Like some of the saves he made, mm-hmm. like. The scoring chances that they had, first Dreisaitl's great shot on that power play, and then McDavid, where mm-hmm. Depko was actually out of the net, the defenseman stopped it. But then Chason's mm-hmm. shot. I mean, how did that not go in? It was just a... What, well, 90, 99% of it went in, but I guess there was a debate about that 100th percent, whether it all crossed the line or not. Man, was that ever <laughs> Yeah, that's close. true, too. Oh, ever yeah. close. Yeah. Unreal. Anyway, We have a note uh, from... Uh, three and five seconds kind of. yeah we have a note here from torby rem remrech rem mm-hmm. remrech from germany who actually missed the game mm-hmm. i think uh it would who expects a, a hockey game to start was, was it 130 bruce on a saturday afternoon what was it 130 start, start yeah they wanted to get out of the way of the actual meaningful playoff game which goes tonight at uh 5 15 here in a little bit so uh we'll have to uh we'll have to pay more attention to that this is such a cockamamie schedule with canucks still having three more games left after today all against calgary uh both teams being out of the playoffs but they have to finish out the the slate and it was yeah it seems like cruel and unusual punishment doesn't it those games those games will be tough to watch but yeah this this was an early start and I have bad news for our friend from Germany that uh, uh, Leon Dreisaitl on his last two shifts of the season lost the NHL plus-minus crown. Oh, he did? He led by one going into the third period, and uh, uh, Vancouver got uh, second and fourth goals by that impressive sniper Matthew Highmore, both of them. Uh, And those two goals uh, uh, were uh, uh, what drove Leon down from... 
plus 29 and one behind Mikkel Rantanen of Colorado who will win that title. Well, it, I'd feel a little more sorry for him, Bruce, but he was to blame on the one. Like he 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 read he tried to pick off the pass uh-huh. on the uh, the three on two goal, Highmore's uh, the three on two mm-hmm. goal where they they break in and tried to pick off the pass. So he's partly responsible for that three on two break. And um, anyway, he's had a he's had a fantastic season. So what's your Bruce? I just want to read a couple of comments here because it's going to lead into your your bad thing. From Randy Scott, I'm already having nightmares of Koskinen starting a playoff game and I haven't even slept yet. <laughs> and mm-hmm. from Adam Lamouche, can you guys elaborate on Miko? How does a 6-7 goalie get beat so easy sometimes? Bruce, what is your bad thing? My bad thing is Miko Koskinen in the third period. I actually thought he was pretty good for the first, uh, first 40 minutes. Yeah. Very good to come out at, at the start of the game. He was sharp early. Uh, he got beat on a, a shorthanded two-on-one where uh, Tyson Dar- Barry demonstrated the Matador defense to uh, uh, almost perfection or imperfection. But uh, in the third period with the score one-to-one, uh, he just didn't have any answers. I mean, Highmore, the goal that you talked about on the three-on-two, was a shot from uh, from an angle uh, above the face-off dot and it beat him high glove side. And I mean, this wasn't Alexander Ovechkin firing the puck, right? It wasn't Leon Dreisaitl. It was Matthew Highmore who had, I think, one goal all season before that moment. Uh, correct. Uh, and now he has three because he got two in the third period and both of them were of type horrendous on the netminder to me. The one that's beat it didn't even like pick the top corner it was a little bit inside the post but it was a foot below the top corner I mean you got to catch that I mean you just got to and then the fourth goal was a backhander from the slot and it went through Tyson Berry and it did take a bit of a funky bounce like it was a low shot and hit the ice and it bounced up just high enough to catch the top of Koskinen's pad and then somehow he wasn't able to find it as it dribbled over the goal line I, I just I mean, you need your goalie to clean up that, have those saves, especially when the other team's goalie is on fire. You know, you gotta you gotta make some stops in response to that. And for all that, he faced uh, 41 shots today, so he had a save percentage slightly over 900 in this game. Uh, the difference in this game was definitely goaltending. I think we had the grade A chances of 16 to 7 for Edmonton. And the Oilers couldn't convert their chances, and the Canucks converted some of their grade A chances and some of their grade B chances. And it's, uh, it's unfortunately, unfortunately, the guy that they needed to, you know, to show something tonight going into the playoffs. I mean, if he did anything in this game to uh, uh, earn the trust of the coach in the first two periods, he, he basically uh, lost out in the third period with his. Uh, with his poor performance. And Matthew Highmore, who scored three goals for Chicago in the playoffs last year, has his number, and it's hard to believe. Like, like the guy is a lightweight. Seems to be able to put the puck past big Mikko Koskinen, and frustrating. Those were, the, those were the two that cost Leon the plus-minus championship, so I'm pretty sour about it just for that reason. Not that it matters to most people, but I'm one who's always put stock in 
leading the league in as many categories as possible. Might have cost him some bonus money. I don't know if he would get bonus for that or not. No, no uh, bonuses at this stage of Leon's contract. Those are those are early or late career stuff. Oh, okay, bonuses. gotcha. All right, Bruce. Uh, <laughs> my bad thing is uh, the the owners have two, two really fine offensive defensemen in Tyson Berry and Evan Bouchard, mm -hmm. but their defense can sometimes be a little bit shaky. We saw it on the. Uh, power play goal against the shorthanded goal for Vancouver where uh, Tyson Berry might have had played that one a little bit better letting in the, the, the pass over yeah you weren't that impressed by that one mm. and then uh, and Bouchard um, him also so in the on the second Vancouver goal um, he it's a three on two and he kind of allows the pass over to Highmore it's not a major mistake but if he had been a little higher a uh, little higher up, a little less gap. I think he might have been able to uh, pick off that pass maybe. And then on the third goal, he makes a turnover. He kind of flips the puck in the air. He's, I think he's trying to flip it higher. doesn't get out. And Vancouver, you know, he gets it to Kara. Kara doesn't make a play. And Nurse is out of position. And there, there's another. There's actually quite a dangerous chance um, at, at that point on Koskinen. That, yeah, was they, they bang, one. that, that was, one wasn't on Koskinen. That was three that was sloppy not. defensive plays by the three guys you just named. I don't know where Nurse was going there. I mean, I, really, it's when they're getting the puck out of the them. zone, the last defenseman has to stay in front of the net as opposed to coasting wherever out of the zone. And yeah, he wound up his man wound up alone in front, banging it in the top corner. Mainly on Nurse, and then the last goal um, again. Koskinen, because it's kind of a slow backhand shot from mm -hmm. the you know the top of the the top of the kill zone. No, it's a it's it's a. But Barry was screening Koskinen on that play, and he doesn't stop the shot. He doesn't block the shot. Mm -hmm. He screens his goalie, so he's he's culpable on that. So, this is this is you know it would be interesting, Bruce. Sometimes I wonder if we had done this scoring chance project in the glory years. Yeah. of the Edmonton Oilers, what we would have, if we would have thought any different of Paul Coffey um, doing this kind of work, how much we would have been just focused on his mistakes. Cause this really, the work we do, we focus on the good plays, but we really, you know, I think everyone's kind of aware of the good plays and the good plays are usually rewarded with goals and assists, the best of the plays. Right. It's the mistakes on goals against that kind of are more of a gray area, but that's what we focus on and on grade A chances against. So I wonder what we would have thought of Coffee or Rejo Ritzelein and maybe not a whole lot different. Maybe he, his great plays would have so outnumbered his bad plays that no. that, uh, that would have made a huge impression on us and we could, but I don't know that for sure. And I think with what we're going to see, let's say Evan Bouchard does replace Tyson Berry as the number mm -hmm. one offensive defenseman on the team next year, which I think is likely. I mean, we, we might see kind of similar rates of major contributions to chances for, but also lots and lots of mistakes on grade-A chances against. We'll only know that over time. I sure love Barry's offensive game, and I sure love Bouchard's offensive game, but there is that uh, propensity to make mistakes. Well, speaking of plus-minus, Coffee was plus 50 or better four years in a row, so I think his Ooh. I think his good plays outweighed his bad plays, and there was plenty of both, but there was more, more, more of the of the of the good offensive plays than there were of the defensive. How did that happen? You know, but uh, on the yeah on that power play goal, I mean Barry, I don't know what he was doing. It was a two-on-one, and he like turned around 
face his own net and try to intercept the pass on the backhand. And to me, the play all day long was to just leave his feet and slide towards the guy with the puck so that he didn't have a pass. And, and he just, it just seemed like a, a, a sort of an automatic play and he just didn't make it and he couldn't pick off the pass either. And if he had, he may well have tipped it in his own net the way he was trying to play it. So I just didn't understand that other than that's Tyson Berry and sometimes what you get is not what you want. What's your number? Yeah, I'm going to go with a, a fancy number today, which is 57.38%. Uh, I'll give you a few more decimal points uh, if you really wanted. Uh, this is a percentage of goals, uh, Edmonton Oilers goals, in which Connor McDavid was awarded a scoring point. He got one point on the Oilers' one and only goal today. So he, he moved the needle slightly from 57.14 to 57.38%, which doesn't sound like much. But uh, in his awe-inspiring 1988-89 season, uh, Mario Lemieux scored 199 goals on 347, 199 points on 347 Pittsburgh Penguins goals for a percentage of 57.35, which it's not an official record, and you'd have to dig long and hard and brute force it, I think, to find the official record, but I would bet you approximately a million dollars that Mario had that record and that Connor McDavid now does by virtue of him being involved in the Oilers' one and only goal this morning and scraping ahead of the great Mario Lemieux by three one-hundredths of a percentage point. <laughs> Does that say something good about the Oilers or something bad about the Oilers? Both. So it's yeah, same I... things about the Penguins in 1988-89. They were heavily reliant on the one player. And uh, to the point that, you know, there, there wasn't enough support scoring. That was the complaint in Pittsburgh at the time. And I think it's a valid complaint in Edmonton today that uh, as great as McDavid is for the uh, 40 minutes or 38 minutes a night that he's not on the ice, the team should be getting more, more goals. But uh, he's certainly the driver of the offense. And it's, a, you know, it's a spectacular accomplishment. Literally, he was involved in over four of every seven Edmonton goals this year. Not merely half, which is like a rare, rare, rarefied error to get to 50%. He's four out of seven. Pretty darn impressive. Mm -hmm. Moving on to my number, Bruce. I'm just mm -hmm. uh, 32. All right. So... The, the worst thing that we can, in our system of uh, ranking players, the worst thing that we, the worst thing you want to see by a goalie's name is the code AMS. AMS. And that means it's a, it's a chance against for A, and then MS is missed shot. Mm -hmm. And this year, Bruce, in 27 games, Koskin has 10, where we just think he just out and out missed that shot. 10, 10 times where he missed it. 10 really bad goals. Mike Smith in 32 games, six, six times where he muffed it. So that's a, and I think their minutes is even more significant uh, in terms of minutes. Smith's played eight, eight, uh, 1,846 and Koskinen 1,437. So Koskinen has a significantly higher rate of just absolute, of missing shots, blowing shots than, than Mike Smith does. And, uh, it could come to haunt the Oilers, obviously, in the playoffs. Do you have any, you know, people, he played a lot better last year, Bruce. His, his save percentage was 
916, 917 last year. This year, before this game, it was 899, his save percentage. I'm not sure what it is right now, but it's below 899. It's below that 900 marker. Any thoughts on what's gone wrong with him this year? Well, he didn't play a whole lot, right? I mean, that was a big part of it. And when Mike Smith came back, he was the he was the man. And uh, yeah. uh, Koskinen was playing once every 10 days, once every 14 days. He was doing okay, actually. He was running better as Smith's backup man than as the uh, number one early in the season. That's actually really when things got away with him because not only, you know, did he get blitzed a little bit at that time, but he also played a significant his overall games and then of course we had this last home game against vancouver before this one where he gave in four goals on four shots if you want to find out why he's below 900 i suspect you take that game away and and uh that save percentage is uh going to be a lot better fair enough uh i just i i listen i i'm not enough of a expert on goalies to have much to say about it he just, I mean, it just seems like, what is it? He just seems not, he's just, he seems sharp um, much of the game. This game, he seems sharp much of the game, and then he just lends in a, a stinker or two. So I, mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I it just, it just is, a, is it a confidence thing? Is it a concentration thing? I, I have no idea. I, it's, it's beyond my pay grade to actually have a, a reasonable comment about what's going wrong with the guy. He's there was right. lo- much much longer periods last year where he just seemed to you know be stopping everything, looking confident in it, like he did for the first two periods tonight, where he looked sharp, playing well, looking like a good goal, good NHL goalie, and then boom, uh, mm-hmm. some stinker goals. So sorry if you're looking if you're looking for uh, more astute goalie analysis, I suggest that you turn to Kevin Woodley. You know, just someone right. who knows the position inside out. And uh, I'm, I haven't listened to what he's had to say about Koskinen this year, but uh, have you? Do you anything come to mind on what he, what he has said? Um, it. I've heard him talk more about Smith than Koskinen because, of course, Smith's been the, the, seeing the majority of the action. Um, yeah. But, but he, he did say uh, early in the season when Koskinen was struggling, he said he was the kind of goalie, he said, that needed a lot of time with the goalie coach working on his technical game. And it's hard to get that extra time when you're when you're starting game after game. You need, that, you know, practice where you can stay out extra after and so on because you're not going out there the right uh, after. And that, uh, uh, I think he his... Um, commentary was that Koskinen you know had improved once he got that time and I mean that was apparent in the numbers and the you know just what you could see that he was uh, uh, he was stronger but uh, this last little while I mean he what he played three of the last five games and uh, you know he got torched for four three and four goals against with the first four coming in half a period so that uh that put paid to what had been a half decent sort of in-season comeback by the guy. Um. Here's a question from Adarath uh, Shrikanth. Do you start Cuckoo or Jones in the playoffs? I guess I can, I'll weigh in with that and, and say sure. it's tempting to start Cuckoo. Honestly, he's a, he's a bit, 
he's played better than Jones when he's been in the lineup this year. If they think Cuckoo is ready to go, I'd be tempted to go with him, honestly. Jones has struggled this year uh, defensively. So um, I wouldn't be surprised to see Cuckoo in. Your thought, Bruce? Uh, Cuckoo, uh, he looked pretty good today for a guy, you know, like he clearly, clearly was chomping at the bit and he came out early and he was sort of really, really pumped for this game. Uh, over the course of the season, his his um, underlying numbers, you know, his fancy stats were not particularly good. Like he was way down in the 40% range for, you know, sh shot attempts uh, when he was on the ice. And, and uh, you know, he, 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 probably looked better by eye than than the numbers supported him and jones kind of the other way around that you know he he's uh um uh, he, he puts up decent underlying numbers and he makes these clangers of mistakes and that's what uh dave tippett's going to have to weigh is which guy does he think is more reliable i'd say clearly jones is a better puck mover uh and he's way more in shape i mean cuckoo's played one game and what is it, close to three months, two and a half months since he got yeah. hurt. So he's uh, uh, he's got um, uh, a tough decision to make there. My choice, I think, would be Jones. Uh, it sounds like Russell, I mean, Russell would probably be the coach's first choice, but it sounds like from what they said today, he will not be ready to, for the start of the playoffs, thanks to that hit he took from Matthew Kachuk there near the end of that uh Last Calgary game. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I would I would say it's not like by video review of key plays, I'd say Cuckoo's been better than Jones. Jones has just struggled. Uh, he, he he leaks grade A chances against. Cuckoo hasn't. Um, but he's mm -hmm. in his, it's in a smaller sample size. But it's I saw enough to be impressed by him earlier this year. I was pleasantly surprised okay. by his play. In terms of his on-ice numbers, I mean, they were up last year. They're down. I just find them, they're kind of random for defensemen personally. So I just, he he doesn't, he on the Oilers, what I saw is a defenseman who generally doesn't make a lot of mistakes in his own end. So I'd be inclined to go with Slater Cuckoo if he, he, he seemed healthy enough. He's been practicing skating for a month, I think he said. So uh, he looks right. good to go. If they start Jones, though, I don't. I think that's fine too. I don't have a strong strong uh opinion on that let me just go to a few more questions here bruce if i can find one uh all right uh do you think we should have given Staylock two or three games or someone suggests we should give Staylock? we should have given Staylock two or three games what do you say about that uh in theory it would have been nice to get give him some game action i mean i, I think i know Tippett was coming from uh, because uh, Koskinen hadn't played much for long stretches of the season. He wanted to give him a f few games near the end to get him sharp, ideally. And he still wanted to keep Smith sharp, so he just went to sort of an every other game thing down the stretch. And to introduce Staylock, I mean, if we get to the point in the playoffs where, we're, where we need our number three goalie, chances are uh, the playoffs are nearing their end. <laughs> Because that means something has gone wrong with your numbers one and two goalies. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah, I think he's, uh, Stalux, you know, he's under contract for another year at a reasonable price. And I think he's part of the pitcher for 21-22 uh, uh, for season. Uh, but it's very unlikely we'll see him in any playoff action. So 
Or is yeah. it somewhat possible we'll see Koskinen? Mark Raymond asked, do you think the Oilers buy out Miko Koskinen in the offseason? And I would just say, I think it, it, it comes down to the playoffs. Um, if he gets ice time and he plays well in the playoffs, I, I think it's kind of depends. Do they need money? Are they going to, are they desperate right. for money uh, to sign some particular player? Then it's a possibility. But I, I just think my inclination would be to keep him as your backup goalie. Um, I know that you might want to like, the, I see them bringing back Smith probably. So then you, that's kind of tough because then who's your, your, your starting goalie the season after, if you have a similar season where Koskinen doesn't do well, and maybe you want, um, the Oilers to train Smith help train someone, train someone else um, to be their starting goalie, and, and that would mean you, having a different backup than Koskinen next year. But my inclination at this point would be not to buy him out, just because that just buyouts hammer your team. They ha hammer your hammer your salary cap situation in years to come. And mm -hmm. if Smith, if Koskinen's going to be your backup goalie, yeah, he's not. He's not a. He, if, if it's like this year, he, that would be kind of a so-so thing, but not a terrible thing. Any thoughts, Bruce? Yeah, well, yeah. You If you buy him out, you save $3 million next year against the cap, but then you have a $1.5 million cap penalty two years from now. And ideally, you find some other kind of solution, like even if you trade them and they retain some. That's uh, They get rid of it in one year as opposed to having the second year of uh, you know cap penalty for the buyout to uh, to have to deal with so i don't know i mean i don't hate the guy like i'm probably coming across pretty sour this afternoon because i frankly am pretty sour this afternoon but uh uh he's played he's played quite a bit of good goal for Edmonton just for the price that peter Chiarelli paid for the guy three-year deal four and a half million dollars 30 years old with under 30 games of NHL's experience at the time he signed it. That's, you know, that's a tall bar to live up to, even for the three-meter man. And, uh, you know, the contract versus the goalie, like he's an okay 1A to, to two, number two goalie, uh, but that shouldn't be four and a half million bucks. So you got to figure out how to, how to get around that. And one way to get around it is simply one more year of it and then move on. Nate Hay 77 asks, what are your thoughts on Kulikov's play with the puck? Looks good defensively, uh, but moving the puck seems to be a struggle. I think we've all noticed some, it's it's funny because he's one of these guys who moves the puck generally well and seems to be okay with the puck. He and Larson seem to be forming a fairly uh, solid uh, defensive combo, very solid defensive combo, but he does have these kind of, moments where he makes a big glitch i i don't mind his play um overall i think he deserves to be in the lineup for the first game of the playoffs and we'll see how it goes i i do think it's it's helpful to have a bigger defenseman he he is that and a physical defenseman he is that so um he could he's a solid pairing right now and uh, hopefully he'll just keep those mistakes under control your thought bruce I'm yeah, oh, yeah. Um, Kulikov, he's. I, I think he's gotten a little better with the puck. Like he at the beginning, there was some miscommunication, and he was coming from a different team, different system, and it took a little while. Like he made a couple passes where he sort of passed it to a space. It looked like where he thought someone might be, and there wasn't anybody there except for some guy from the other team ready to take advantage. And some of that's just you know veteran learning a 
a new system. And when you come in and try and do that on the fly during the season, there's going to be glitches. Haven't seen as many of those glitches in the last uh, two or three games. And frankly, I barely noticed Kulikov in today's game at all, which for the style of player he is, it's not, by all means, that's not all a bad thing. Like, I didn't see any sort of atrocious blunders out of the guy. <laughs> Whereas in a couple of earlier games, he did have a couple of those. It's it's so hard to tell in games like these, you know, the last run of games against, like, Montreal's B team and against the Canucks team that's not you know, he's playing out the string. So it's hard, it's hard to tell with mm -hmm. Kulikov, but he does seem to be getting more in sync with Larson. So um, that, that could well carry over into the playoffs. Bruce, what do you think of this, this notion that McDavid's incredible accomplishments, you know, where he's, we're only probably, there's just maybe just two players who have ever had more dominating years in terms of scoring the people next to them in the scoring race, just how and Gretzky have ever had a better season than McDavid just had this year in that regard. What do you think the notion though, that it doesn't really, that it's somewhat cheapened by the fact that he's in a weaker division that we hear from some uh, commentators that it, uh, anything that he's done is, has that kind of asterisk beside it. What's your take on that notion? Well, I mean, the NHL this year is a very unusual league. It's like four, it's like four leagues. Yes. that are partitioned from each other, all playing in their own little silos, you know, so we have no interdivisional play, no interconference play, so no matchups against, you know, three-quarters of the league, not even any common opponents. There's nothing really to, to compare across divisions at all other than, you know, memories of seasons past and records from, from, from the past. Um, but I'll give you this. Um, uh, goals against... And I'll just stick a line in the sand at 170 goals against, which is basically three goals per game allowed. The Honda West Division had five teams that had 170 goals against or more, including St. Louis that made the playoffs, and all the other teams, L.A., Arizona, Anaheim, San Jose. Normally, all of those teams are in the Pacific Division with the Oilers. He didn't get to play against those teams, and they all allowed over 170. And San Jose, in fact, allowed 199 goals. Wow. Uh, then we have the uh, Discover Central Division, where Detroit, Chicago, and Columbus all had over 170 goals against on the season. Uh, so the bottom three teams. Move over to the Mass Mutual East Division. You can tell I'm reading the NHL's webpage, can't you? Uh, and we have... Uh, I thought you had New it Jersey, memorized, Bruce. But... New Jersey, 194. Buffalo, 199. Philadelphia, 201 goals against, like three teams with over 190 goals against on the season in the uh, in the East Division. And then here in the Scotia North Division with the weak defensive teams that can't handle McDavid and all, you know, all the high scorers, we have two teams that have allowed 170 goals this year, two teams out of seven. In Vancouver, Canucks 174 and Ottawa Senators 190. So you know, there's 13 in the league that allowed 170 or more goals, and two of them are in Canada. So if you think the Canadian teams are weak, I mean, McDavid, you'd, you'd expect those numbers to be bigger in a division where McDavid, Dreisaitl, Matthews, Marner, etc., are ringing up the goals, and they should push the average up by, you know, 0.1 of a goal a game or something, the division as a whole. But that's not really what we're seeing. And 
so it's not like he was totally racking up huge points against bottom feeders. Yes, he did rack up huge points against uh, three opponents that he got 20-plus points each against. But the record indicates that those teams aren't that bad of a defensive team. And they're, I mean, if you want to look at what, uh, uh, you know, Vegas and Colorado, the tied for first overall, that are playing L.A., Arizona, Anaheim, San Jose in four-sevenths of the games... You know they've got lots of chances to rack up their uh, their their uh, goal and win totals as well. So uh, I don't put a lot of stock. Me, the four divisions are there's not a huge amount to choose between them. You know, if there's a slight difference in strength between the divisions, that would that would be a few percent. Nothing that's overwhelming at all. Yeah, I was. It's how can you tell? It's been for they haven't yeah. played each other. There's been no interdivisional exactly. play. Now you could go on last year's where they all finished last year. You kind of mm-hmm. rank the vi- the divisions about where are these teams. And then when you do that, so the the teams in the north finished twelfth, thirteenth, seventeenth, nineteenth, twentieth, and thirtieth in the NHL. So there was no top ten teams. But right. that that doesn't take into account that the Toronto. I think Toronto and Edmonton and uh, are much improved teams over last year like Toronto is a really good team Edmonton is a really good team this year so where they would they have finished this year it's it's just hard to say and those teams were all kind of there's a solid group just bunched in the middle I mean uh, of uh, you know there was every team in this division was deemed to be a playoff contender at the start of the year except for the Ottawa Senators Mm -hmm. and Vancouver might have hung in there in the playoff race if not for some big injuries although I think that their defense was seriously weakened um by some well, by some player losses heading into schedule the schedule was cratered by COVID. Cratered by COVID, indeed. Mm-hmm. Bruce, someone, Mark Simpson. Ottawa asked, was a lot better team, too, this year than yeah. they were last year. Still, you know, still working their way up, but uh, last year they were fairly disastrous, and this year they they were anything but with twenty three wins. From Mark Simpson, Simpson, any Stampede wrestling references? tonight bruce and i do want to point out one really ring a ding dong dandy stat or point <laughs> that you brought up uh last game or last post where you you looked at when was the last time the owners had the top two scorers in the league and also the top scoring defenseman in the league what did you find out in that regard well when was the last time anybody had that uh yeah. the answer to that was 1984-85 and the team that did it then was the edmonton oilers with uh, three all-time greats, uh, Hall of Famers, first ballot Hall of Famers, Wayne Gretzky with a ridiculous 208 points. Yari Curry finished second way back at 135, absolutely great season. Paul Coffey comfortably led all defensemen in scoring with 121 points. It has not been done since 1985. That was a, that was a team that was deemed to be the greatest NHL team of the century. And... Nowadays, of course, the league is bigger. Uh, there's more teams. It's harder to be first among 31 teams than it used to be first among, say, six teams or even 12. And uh, with the uh, salary cap and the, just the general parity in the league, it's very hard to accomplish that. And yet, here we are with the Oilers with uh, McDavid way out in front with 105 points, Dreisaitl with uh, 84 the group of defensemen, it was very, very tight. The top 10 all finished between 48 and 41 points. But there's Tyson Berry, the top guy of the group at 48. So he's uh, number one on the uh, on the Oilers. Uh, 
And the other thing that happened is that this year's Oilers, for the second year in a row, had the top two scorers in the league. And the last NHL team to accomplish that was also the Edmonton Oilers of uh, 83 to 84, and then again 84, 85, that did it two years in a row. Gretzky Coffee one year, Gretzky Curry the next. Whereas this year, of course, or this, this current era was Drysaddle McDavid last year, and McDavid Drysaddle this. So the same, the same two guys both times. But uh, uh, that's kind of rarefied error. And the shocking thing about it was I found 12 teams uh, dating back to the end of World War II, which was as far back as, uh, you know, the names of the, some of the players playing right after World War II were still hanging on at, as I started watching hockey in the early 60s. Uh, 12 teams did eight before the expansion. So the six-team era was much more conducive to, you know, one high-powered line and power play, one great defenseman. And so um, three different teams, Detroit Red Wings, Montreal Canadiens, Chicago Blackhawks, did it eight times in the 50s and 60s. Uh, in the 70s, Boston Bruins did it a couple times in the expansion era. And since the merger in 1979, it's only happened twice in the NHL. Both times it was Edmonton Oilers, but at this giant gap of 36 years between the two uh, times that they got it done. So I don't know. It's a, it's it's... It's a trivial stat in one sense, but in another sense, I mean, top two scorers in the league, top defensemen in the league, you got a lot going on there. And what all of those teams had in common was they all had great power plays, uh, with all three guys being a big part of it. Uh, what all the teams but this one had in common was every single one of the other 11 led the NHL in goals the year that they had these these top scorers and, and, uh, and D-man. The Oilers of nineteen of uh, twenty twenty one finished seventh in the league in goals, which goes back to our earlier point about how much of the offense McDavid was involved. And the Oilers were not specifically a very high-powered offensive team at all, except when McDavid, Drysdale, Barry were on the ice. Barry has taken some heat for having an inflated point total because of second assists, and. Mm -hmm. um, I, I think that's a you know I, I think it's actually a fair comment to point that out. Yep. I don't I don't think people who are pointing that out are saying something offensive or they're just saying hey just keep in mind that this is a defenseman who you know he's not at he, sometimes he's not at like the very heart of the goal that's being scored. You know so I think that's a fair comment and I don't want to I think people are right to point that out because, you know, if you're just excited about points, then you might want to lavish a big contract on this player. Like some people might be in that camp. So it's something to think about. But so I, I looked today, Bruce, at uh, the players who have scored at least 30 points this year in the NHL and the percentage of their points that comes on second assists. So Tyson Berry has 48 points and uh 27 have come on second assist cool. that's 56 percent that that's number. the highest that is the yeah, highest percentage it. in the nhl this year but bruce there's the top 15 of the top 15 players you know who've got a lot of high percentage of their assists on second assist 13 of them are defensemen so barry's at 56 percent morgan riley's at 54 percent Nick Letty, 52%. Tori Krug, 50%. Adam Fox, 49%. So Adam Fox is one of the people that's constantly mentioned for the Norris Trophy. He's at 49%. Just, you know, not that different than Tyson Berry. Uh, Mackenzie Weger, 47%. 
Chafe Theodore, 45%. So those are the, these are all players in the top 10 within defensemen in the striking distance of Tyson Berry. But Tyson Berry has had a high percentage. And to, yep. the, the one really great defenseman who's mentioned for the Norris Trophy who isn't in that high percentage is Victor Hedmond. Just 14 of his 45 points, 31%, um our hmm. second assists so he's he's at the heart at the very heart either scoring the goal or the first assist of of a much higher percentage of his points than these other guys and i think that's i think that's something in his favor when you look at the norris trophy um voting uh comparison is you know this isn't a defenseman connor mcdavid 100 and this is before um tonight i'll include mm -hmm. it he's at 21 percent just um 22 of his 105 points i'm adding in tonight 22 of his 105 points were second assists so um you can see someone who's just we know connor mcdavid is just right in the middle of almost every scoring chance he doesn't get that many cheapy assists as a percentage of his total and um so something to keep in mind but i i don't think i don't know if people in toronto are constantly pointing out how many second assists that uh morgan riley has there if that's just an edmonton thing but maybe Morgan Riley's Probably. on a on a maybe they do. Morgan Riley's on a long term contract, so I can see why people bring it up in terms of like worrying about the contract and mm -hmm. having that concern. It's a valid. Yeah, the next con the next contract is you know it's very much a negotiating point uh, for what he did on this contract. I mean he was he was brought in here to uh, uh, to help boost the offensive production of the Oilers. And to get the puck onto the sticks of uh, McDavid and Drysaddle, and he did that a lot. And I bet you'll find most of those second assists. The first assist was either McDavid or Drysaddle because Barry got them the puck, and they made the play that resulted in the goal. Deserve the lion's share of the credit, and him less so. But he did get them the puck, and he got them the puck in place to do something. And they both had big offensive years, and he Tyson Barry had something to do with those big offensive years. Maintain. Edmonton had the top power play again this year, Bruce, 27.6% yep. uh, clearance rate, which is freaking outstanding. Tyson mm -hmm. Berry was a big part of that. He he was a he is a spectacular offensive defenseman. And uh, we'll see how he does in the playoffs because I don't think the decision has yet been made completely by the Oilers on what they're going to do with this player, whether they will uh, – and, and it shouldn't be. It shouldn't be made until mm – -hmm till the playoffs right now some people might say well that's putting too much weight in the playoffs but you know the playoffs can last 20 20 how many games you, you know you could have a uh, seven times 28 games in the playoffs Anywhere if, from four to 28 games <laughs> indeed so if it's 28 games and he plays like a killer in all of them it'd be pretty hard not to bring back tyson berry at that point so we'll, well see his what, price uh, would be going through the roof too but i mean he oh himself God, was in, was interviewed uh, a couple of months ago after a game and they asked him about and he was playing well at that time and putting up the points and they asked him about the contract and he says we won't even start talking about that until after after the playoffs he says our goal now is to make the playoffs and then our goal is to play well in the playoffs and then after that we can talk about next year i'm worried about this year and so it was to me the perfect answer and I think both he and the team are, you know, have, you know, I've never heard any whispers of actual negotiations the way we have with Nuge or Larson. And the whispers I have heard suggest that the team may not be competing for his services going forward, that uh, either Seattle comes and signs him, which would actually solve a couple of problems from Edmonton's perspective, or he goes to the market uh, just 
because you know the the defensemen that they have uh, in the system. Primarily, you start with Evan Bouchard, who's very much in the Tyson Berry, uh, you know, general mold, right-handed shot, uh, offensive power play specialist type defenseman. So they have an, a replacement in-house for for uh, uh, Tyson Berry. There's no saying he's going to lead the league in points next year, but I mean, the style of player he is, you can certainly see the uh, him contributing to the team in the same role. That Barry kind of blocked Bouchard from contributing in this year. He's just so great when he has the puck on his stick. He's such a slick, smart hockey player. Jeff King says uh, says Morgan Riley's second assist rate is discussed a lot in Toronto. I'm I'm gonna assume that is mm-hmm. correct. And from uh, Michael Lester, we have virtual fist bump till Wednesday. So Bruce, let's uh, let's give uh, Michael Lester the virtual. This bump. There you go, man. <laughs> and everyone listening to the podcast. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me just go one last time, Bruce. Any final thoughts on the season? Someone's asked about that. Final thoughts on the season? Anything you'd like to say about this season? Oh, yeah. Uh, this is a, a very, very successful season for the Edmonton Oilers. Uh, you know, 35 wins in, uh, uh, in uh, 54 games. I think they wind up with 6-6-7. Uh, points percentage if i've got it right with uh, 72 points out of a possible 108 um they uh, improved their defensive play dramatically i think their team play improved uh their two big guns obviously continue to play at another level uh from the league like always have if not the two best players in the league the best duo in the league if you know if you want to split hairs and them being way out on top of the scoring race two years running is uh, uh, is proof positive to that. I mean, there's more to the game than scoring, but uh, that's an awfully big part of it. And um, I think uh, between those things, between uh, Tyson Berry coming in and doing largely the job he was brought in to do at a reasonable price, between Mike Smith having a knockout comeback season, um, you know, there's just many, many, uh, many positives to point at and this is uh david in the 11 years that i've been with the cult of hockey this is uh likely the best or second best i mean we can say we can argue about 2016-17 as uh, one other season that we could we could compare semi-favorably to this one but i mean we can all find things we wish were better we have players that we you know contracts we don't like players we don't like that's always going to be the case it was the case when the orders were stanley cup champions that some people would say well this guy's got to go because he you know we could do better but uh, there's far more pluses and minuses the team is very much heading in the right direction this is going to be a good team for a while isn't it bruce and with young players like dylan holloway and ryan mcleod and philip broberry and Raphael lavoie and all kinds of them coming up there's going to be reinforcements in years to come as well so i it was just an extremely encouraging year it's the kind of year i hope they would have and mm-hmm. predicted they would have and it's the kind of year they had i thought they would be a good team they have been a very good team and and bruce um you know one of the things i've looked at is superstar players and i i think that connor mcdavid is now uh he's going to win the mvp award this year he's 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 probably already in the you know already moved into like all-time nhl greats so i looked at other all-time nhl greats 
to see how they did. How, how long did it take for them to be in the league before they won a Stanley Cup? Now, the, the complicating factor is when there was four teams in the league when Howie Morenz was won his first cup Breaking or six, mm -hmm. six teams in the league, you know, when, when Richard and Beliveau and Hull and Makita and Gordie Howe won their cups, it was a lot easier to win the Stanley cup. Just there's oh, so sure. much less competition. The odds are just so much better. So it's, it's a lot more difficult right now than it was back then. I believe to win the Stanley cup, mm -hmm. you're just, you're just, uh, there's no, more teams. So of the really great players though, they're, they're, what I'm going to say is, if you if you if you want to put any weight in this kind of historical evaluation of great players, and um, there are a couple examples uh, in more recently of players who have led teams that have been the Oilers finished 11 out of 31 teams, or two you know they're two out of uh, what do we have here in this division uh, seven seven two out of seven in this division, mm -hmm. but in the overall NHL in terms of their points percentage, they're 11 out of 31. Well, in 1991, Mario Lemieux led a Pittsburgh Penguins team that was seventh out of 21 teams. Seventh out of 21 teams, kind of a similar kind of ranking uh, to the Stanley Cup and won it. And in 2009, Sidney Crosby's Pittsburgh Penguins were ninth out of 30 teams in the NHL. So um, these are outliers. Most of these superstars like Gretzky and, and Howe and Orr, they were either on the best team or the second best team in the NHL when they won their first Stanley Cup. The Oilers are not that yet. That might be next year. I, I think they're trending mm -hmm. in that direction to be the first or second or third best team in the NHL next year. But there, there has been examples where these great players, Crosby and Lemieux, were able to take teams, similar teams to the Edmonton Oilers, and win a Stanley Cup. And doesn't happen that often, but I do not bet against a great, uh, outstanding superstar who's who's ready to win in the playoffs, and that's what I see in Connor McDavid. I'm I'm optimistic they're going to win the North Division at least, and we'll see what happens then. You? Yeah. Well, he uh, he took his game to a to a new level this year, and I mean we're going to see in the playoffs. Uh, but sometimes we get so locked up in looking at the depth players and trying to match up Oilers' fourth line and third pairing and so on against other teams. But the other teams are looking at the Oilers' top game and they're going, how in the hell are we going to stop those guys? And it's uh, it's a uh, uh, exciting time to be to be around. I mean, the sky's the limit, eh, with, uh, uh, with uh, McDavid in particular. And is this the year that he takes it to another level? I mean, we saw from Bobby Orr, I think it was his fourth year, that he finally got Boston over the top. Uh, Mario Lemieux, it took until his seventh year. Wayne Gretzky's fifth year. You know, Connor McDavid, he's in his sixth year right now. And, and uh, I don't see Edmonton as being quite at the top of the curve yet, but, uh, you know, it's a bigger league. You're coming from, you know, you had to be 34. 31st in our 30th in the 30 team league to 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 get players like that in the first place and there's a long way in there they're now finally i think making identifiable progress in consecutive seasons which is something that uh, they failed to build on when they had the first good season with him and it's so hard to know like we I, I, like in the 2017 when the Oilers did well in the playoffs they came within one game of making it to the 
um, to the semifinals for the whole NHL. And if there had been decent refing in that in that series, Came they would have won it. You know, call. fair refing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So, and in that's in that playoffs, we saw certain players step up that weren't. We saw Leon mm-hmm. Leon Dreisaitl reach a level he had never reached before. We saw Oscar Kleffbaum and Adam Larson do the same in those playoffs. If if in this playoffs, Bruce, if Darnell Nurse, like we don't know what Darnell Nurse is going to do in these playoffs, if he reaches that new level, we've seen it in Drysaddle. I think we can expect it again. McDavid didn't reach that incredible level in those 2017 playoffs, but maybe he's going to. And then there's other players, you know, this. Who knows what? Uh, the, let's say the dynamite lines together. Can they get it together in the playoffs and dominate? And maybe Nuge and Yamamoto just come up absolutely huge. Josh Archibald, Jujar Kara. There's a number of players who could really surprise us, and and Ethan Bear, um, Tyson Berry. So let's see, let's see who really steps up, and if that happens, um, who knows what's going to happen? Right. It's, it well, I'm not exciting, the kind. Right? I'm not the kind to make. I'm not a betting man. I'm not the kind to make guarantees. But if I was, I would guarantee you that Connor McDavid's going to be better in the 2021 playoffs than he was in 2017. I just think he's a harder man. And those guys that try and get in his grill like Kessler did in 2017, uh, McDavid's got a few new methods for dealing with guys like that, which some of them include physicality on his own side of the puck. And uh, um, he's, you know, he's he's a man now. He was a kid then. And uh, he's got the man strength, and he's between his speed and his athleticism and his general build, you know, he he can match up against pretty much anyone. And uh, hold his own or better. And so yeah. I, I expect to see him uh, very much in the leadership role. I like that. Uh, Sorry someone's about agreeing that. with you, Bruce. They're, 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 uh, mm-hmm. they're honking their horn. They, they're so excited about what you just had to say oh, there. Oh, thank you. Uh, <laughs> I like that expression. Uh, in It comes from European football. They'll, they'll talk about hard men, like, like the hard men of the mm-hmm. Premier League. And it yeah. was, was often used with Roy Keane. Uh, mm-hmm. It just is absolutely. Mar- he was like the Mark Messier of the Manchester United, United midfield, and what was that? Uh, Gattuso, uh, the Italian midfielder. So there's these hard men. Well, you know what, Bruce? Three hard mm-hmm. men of hockey: Connor, Connor McDavid, Leon Drysaddle, and Darnell Nurse are leading this yes. team into the playoffs this year. And they mm-hmm. have all. Darnell Nurse has always has been a hard man of hockey for a long time. Well, Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle are entering in, into that category where they are they are going to be as nasty to the opposition as the opposition are to them at least mm-hmm. and we'll i i love that dynamic for these playoffs it's a new thing and it's going to transform the edmonton oilers i believe so i'm not going to predict i'm not a i don't make bets either and i'm not going to guarantee anything but i i think your your assertion that mcdavid will be better than he was in 2017 is a very a good bet why don't we leave it there Bruce? we're going to do a we're going to do another podcast, I think, uh, either Sunday night or Monday morning. Um, kind of a playoff preview of the Winnipeg Jets Edmonton Order Series. We, we, we're going to dig into some of those numbers ourselves, and, and um, uh, we'll talk about that series at that time. So I want to thank everyone who's followed the, the live broadcast, everyone who's been following us through the decade of darkness and uh, on the same on the same bandwagon i don't know was it always a bandwagon mm-hmm. it was a pretty empty wagon for a long time but uh it's it's going to be a fun no, no, run David, i don't uh, think it was ever empty right I, I, the people the no, fans of no, edmonton hung in through a lot of crap you know i i think fans in edmonton deserve a lot of credit for 
for for being as diehard as uh, and as resilient as they and we have proven to be over the years. You know that that's uh, the fan base is strong and it remains strong. Sometimes we have our differences among ourselves, but the the love of hockey in this uh, part of the world is is just overarching. And and uh, hats off to uh, oil country. Completely agree, Bruce. And and I remember when McDavid was drafted, my thought at that time was that there's some good karma for Oiler fans here getting that draft pick because not only did we hang in there through the decade of darkness, you know, we hung in there through the 90s after Wayne Gretzky was sold. You know, one of the most, the toughest moments for sports fans of, you know, we all, most of us hung in there as Oiler fans through that time and just kept cheering for the team. And then through the decade of darkness, support was unbelievable. You know, they were selling out that building through the entire decade of yeah, darkness. They exactly. sold out that building. That's good karma. Mm-hmm. That's great fans. And uh, I think, Just, you know, no one else is going to feel this way. Every other fan base is going to say, oh, you got lucky. And yeah, we got lucky. But uh, maybe some good yeah. karma made that good luck. Yeah, it's just unfortunate that there's no no fans in the building now that the team really is strong. There was a lot of games this past season that the fans would have had a lot of fun being in the building. Hopefully we're going to have a lot more games where the fans would have had a lot of fun. And before we know it, we'll be back at the point where they are letting fans back in the building. And can't Someone put out a tweet yesterday, uh, Jeremy Rutherford, I, he's in St. Louis, mm-hmm. covers the Blues, yep. and he was talking about, yep. he, was, he had a list of how many fans are going to be in the Americans. So some of the Americans, right. they're going to have like 12,000, 9,000, 7,000, like lots of fans. And I just was really jealous of that. But um things can change fast the vaccine changes things fast in jurisdictions we're having a bad outbreak now but things change fast and i still have my fingers crossed bruce that if the orders get to the nhl semifinals, uh they might be able to have you know 1000 2000 3000 fans in the building and if they get to the finals maybe half capacity because it, it that's what we've seen in jurisdiction after jurisdiction when you get to that 50 60 70 percent vaccination mark like we're going to in june Things change fast, so fingers crossed here as well. Let's leave it there. Bruce, thanks for talking. All right, All right. I'll just mention 3-2 win for uh, Bakersfield Condors over Henderson's Knights tonight, uh, this afternoon. So uh, they're nipping at the heels for first place down there in the AHL, and they're going to have a little playoffs down there as well. So uh, some good things happening a little lower down in the organization as well. So and with that, I'll say thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. Stampede Hockey. (laughs) All right. Not quite.